This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. Thank you for the feedback on the last pod. The Block 109 bit seemed to resonate with many. And I think with the Wembley game just gone, I was able to hear that section trying to generate some noise. But we all know it is a hard venue to crack, as it were. Leicester was alright, I thought. Helped being in the area that was making a noise behind the goal. I thought it was on par with Ellen Road, to be honest. But uh, we're always going to struggle when there isn't much at stake, points-wise. But I must take my hat off to the 21, uh, or was it 22? I may have miscounted. Swiss fans. I did hear hop Swiss from the opposite end at least once. Now, the World Cup is officially in the past. Two senior fixtures in the bag. Spain in the Nations League and, of course, Switzerland in that friendly. We'll take a look at those in much more detail with Davy Naylor from the website englandstats.com in a moment. And the Lionesses have also been in action, as have many of the younger age groups. So on the Saturday, we started our Nations League campaign at home to Spain. Of course, we went into it as World Cup semi-finalists, but we also went into it on the back of two defeats. As I said in the last podcast, with only three teams in this group, it was important to get off to a good start, which to be fair, we did. Uh, The team to start was Pickford, Shaw, Maguire, Stones, Gomez, Trippier, Henderson, Lingard, Rashford, Alley and Kane. I think the thing that caught me by surprise was Gomez took the place of Walker. As I say, great start. Opening goal from Rashford after 11 minutes after a great cross from Shaw. But two minutes later, Shaw dived in and was easily passed for Seoul to equalise. Classic case of not keeping concentration after scoring. You see it week in, week out at any level. Teams concede in this manner. Frustrating. Spain then took the lead, capitalising on our poor defending from a free kick. And the second half started and saw Luke Shaw stretched off after that accidental collision with Danny Carvajal. For a while after that, we struggled to get back into our rhythm. Marcus Rashford had some great opportunities, but his teammate David De Gea kept him at bay. Now, I think the difference between this and previous friendlies, and credit to the Nations League, was that this, the last five minutes, saw us push him for that equaliser and try and get a point, which we almost thought we had. Danny Welbeck touching home after De Gea had dropped it. It was right in front of the touchline ref, you know, the one with the wand, who didn't signal a thing. What is the point of those guys? I have to ask myself, what is the point of them? That meant that Spain played Croatia on the same night we play Switzerland. And then they went six points clear with a thumping 6-0 win. It means our next two games away could leave us scrapping and Croatia in November might be a dead rubber. But let's not think about that just yet. Uh, I saw a tweet from our friend CJ Joyner who mentioned that the game was in fact our first competitive home defeat in 11 years since we lost to Croatia in 2007. 
Food for thought, that. Now, EnglandFootball.org referred to the game. Rash refereeing spoils hero's homecoming. In a game marred by Luke Shaw's head injury, England lost their UEFA Nations League opener to Spain at Wembley. Many controversial decisions went against the home side, including the disallowing of a seemingly legitimate stoppage time leveller. So on to the Switzerland game at Leicester, where EnglandFootball.blog simply called it a game of two halves. Pretty much summed it up. Now following the Spain game, Deli Alley pulled out with a muscle strain. And so called up from the under-21s were Leicester City pair Ben Chilwell and Damari Gray. Now the team on that night, Butland in goal, Alexander-Arnold, Rose, Walker, Tawoski, Maguire, Loftus-Cheek, Dyer, Welbeck, Rashford and Delph. Fair few changes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I thought it was a decent atmosphere. 30,000 tightly packed in. And there's always going to be regional differences. But I think taking England on the road is still a good thing. time the players knew they hadn't performed and I thought they were lucky to be level to be fair. Switzerland had they had someone who could capitalise on a few mistakes we made really could have made us pay. Marcus Rashford playing in a more forward role made some good runs in the first half and got his reward in the second with two goals in two games and the only goal of that game. And I think when you play at club grounds doesn't matter where you are if one or two of the players are on the show, on the pitch, come from your team and they're going to get a fair amount of support. Which of course was the case for both Harry Maguire and Ben Chilwell. So we had our two games, one at Wembley and one at Leicester, Spain and Switzerland. And here to talk about it is Davey Naylor from the website England Stats. Davey. Hello, Russell. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. Yourself? Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us. Very welcome. Very welcome. England fan, England website. What what did you make of those last two games? Uh, I think um, we found out something that we already know, which is uh, England aren't quite as good as Spain, but better than Switzerland. I <laughs> think I think that uh, that that bore, bore, bore itself out over the last two, two those two games. Um, I thought England did okay and well. Um, some some parts, uh, other parts they weren't so good. They were unlucky. I thought De Gea uh, was immense. In, in the Spanish goal, uh, I thought they were very unlucky against Spain right at the end with that disallowed goal. I didn't think that Welbeck had done much wrong there. No, I must admit, from where I was sitting, it, he looked like De Gea had gone up for the ball, claimed it, but I mean, it. You know, goalkeepers are protected species these days, so, you know, it's very difficult for, uh, you know, I, I can understand, you know, the referee might, you know, I don't know, but I, I, to be honest, I think that was a bit harsh. But then again, I think a draw could, will probably would have flattered England, actually, because they, they, they're they not as good as Spain and they don't have 
as many world-class players as Spain. And, and I know that Spain didn't do particularly well in the World Cup, but, you know, um, they themselves were quite unlucky, um, especially against, you know, penalty shoot against Russia in, in the second mm. round. But, um, you know, and they show their class because they went um, back home and thumped Croatia, World Cup final, 6-0. So, yeah. you know, no, we, I think that, we might have got off lucky a little. Yeah. It kind of puts that result into perspective as well, doesn't it? That, uh, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, they do have some amazing players, absolutely amazing world-class talent. And I think really that is that is where England... Uh, England lacks. I mean, one of the good things that Southgate has done over the last um, couple of years is he's turned a, a mediocre team into a, a, a one which the players are proud to um, to play for and, and will um, give their 100%, 100% for. I mean, you, under other managers, you probably could never have said that. They And they, they, they repaid him by going a long way in a World Cup. Okay, a lot of people, including myself, I mean, could say they got a bit lucky with the draw, uh, you know, and they didn't really beat any brilliant teams. Um, but, I mean, they could have got to a World Cup final. I mean, they, they, I think, really, that they beat themselves against Croatia. I mean, I thought those two teams were very well matched. And I think they ran out of steam, uh, really, during the World Cup. Uh, Croatia, a good team, you know. I think England are a good team. They just don't have that midfield. They don't have a Gascoigne or, or you know, I think Chris Waddle said that in, in the week. They, they're, right. they're lacking that kind of like creative spark. They certainly don't have the players that France have. So if they've beaten Croatia, gosh, I, I, I can't. I mean, it, would, it was a lovely dream. It's coming home. But, you know, to be honest, we're all really realistic. I mean, you know, they did rather well and then and then um going back to to um the last two games that they played switzerland leicester the first half was a snooze fest um but you know rashford scored two in a row and they they're, they're as i said at the beginning they're better that you know not as good as spain and, and better than switzerland so you know i guess it bore itself out yeah I, I was speaking to a few people at the at the switzerland game they kind of said that that first half it was almost a a thank you to some of the players for going to the World Cup and, and sorry you didn't get as much game time. I don't. It, some of those players, I, I think, were maybe found out. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I guess so. I mean, th- there was a few changes from obviously the first game. Obviously, I, I think he picked his uh, best team he could. Obviously, against Spain, a surprise being. Well, I don't know about Gomez in place of Walker because you know, I, you know, Gomez has done rather well. That was really the only. Uh, main surprise, and obviously, you know, Luke Shaw coming in, that's not a main surprise. He's done rather well, and, and we knew about Sterling, he was injured. Uh, you know, putting in, you know, Loftus-Cheek and, you know, Delph and, and those guys. And, and then he brings on, you know, the, the three big guns, you know, uh, Kane, uh, Lingard, Trippier, oh, Henderson as well, and Stones in the second half. So, uh, mate, I don't know. I don't know what his thinking was there. I mean, you know, second half was slightly better, but, you know, it's it's a friendly, and, I, I, and I'm... And I'm and I'm very happy that actually there aren't that going to be many of these with this new Nations League, because I used to hate the friendly. It used to be such a pointless sure. exercise. They are a chore at times. But I think the Nations League were almost in danger of of it with that result of it being over before it started, because we uh, we could be struggling for that. Well, it, it, it's it, yeah, you're very true. Well, that's the nature of of that competition. Um, you, you have two other teams to play against. If you come top of that, uh, well, especially in in, in League A, anyway, that England find themselves in. Uh, one of those three teams, England, Spain, Croatia, are going to be relegated to League B. Spain have got six points. England and Croatia, having only played one game fewer, um, have zero points. So it looks like it's going to be a battle between England and Croatia. 
they get a good thumping 6-0. The, the, the next game, incidentally, is going to be quite an interesting one because um, it will be in Croatia, but it'll be behind closed doors. There'll be absolutely nobody there. Croatia, they uh, they, they got penalised because um, there was lots of abusive chanting and racist chanting during a game against Italy way back in June 2015. And they were fi- they were fined 100,000 euros. And, and also, UEFA said the next two qualifying games they'd have to play behind closed doors. They did one back in... 2015, but this one has been left over from then. So their first one is going to be um, against England. So and, and, and no England fans are going to go. So it's going to be quite eerie watching it on mm. television. And of course, it'll be on Sky. So actually, nobody will be there watching it. <laughs> I guess we'll we'll see about that. But yeah, England could be in danger of 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 you know being relegated out of this league before it's really started. Uh, but again, that's the nature of it. You know, it, that's going to happen. You know, who knows? I mean, it'd be nice if England can w- win the group, and then we've got some. For more fun in next year, right. but it also means sorry, putting my my statistician's head on. It's also for it. be quite good if they could actually win uh, win this because it means they will play two fewer games for uh, European uh, qualifying because th- those four teams that go to the final next June will be playing in a group UEFA has said when they do the European qualifying because it's all linked together it's all very complicated and weird but they will be playing they'll play um, they'll be in a group of five not six so they'll be playing two fewer games well, I guess they play those two games against you know um, better teams uh, you know in the finals so but you know it, it's, it's a better competition to be in and rather than playing qualifiers because to be honest because we all know that not being able to qualify for the European Champions these days, you'd have to be, have a pretty bad run. For example, the top two teams will will qualify uh, in each group. Plus, now also there are going to be another four uh, teams that will qualify directly from this Nations League. So, if you're not in your top two in your group, you still have another chance to get through. Mm. And it's going to be a, a... I don't know whether there's any point in really... Southgate can send out his under-21 squad, to be honest, for the, any of these European... We don't know the draw yet. That'll be in December. But, um, you know, it, it, looking forward, it's going to be a bit... Not going to be as much fun as, you know, the, the World Cup qualifier. And certainly not as much fun as the summer. Do you think the tournament, the Nations League, do you think it'll work like this and carry on like this? Or do you think it'll need a few tweaks here and there? I think it will probably tweak... Uh, they might fiddle with it a little bit here and there. To be honest, anything's better than playing mindless, pointless friendlies. And, and they're almost roped into it sometimes as well um, because, you know, they always have a fixture. FIFA would produce an international calendar of fixtures and it was almost... <laughs> I think the FA are desperate to, to make some money back from, from how much it costs them to build Wembley. I mean, I think they're still paying for it a little bit. So I understand they can make a lot of money. It's 90,000 seats. You can... You can you can earn a lot of money from that. Also, the other good thing as well is now that the FIFA rankings have changed as well. Oh, this I mean, is something that you've covered on, on your website, I believe, isn't yeah, it? I, I used to have a massive bugbear. Um, you probably see looking back on all my blog <laughs> uh, <laughs> posts on my website. Yeah, I used to have a real bugbear about the FIFA rankings because it was awful. It was totally and utterly flawed. Not not only was it, an, uh, it was biased towards uh, European and South American teams, but also you could easily distort the figures by not playing any friendly games. Which, um, incidentally, is what I think is how Switzerland came about uh, being yeah, quite well, high, Wales, wasn't it? Wales did this prior to um, last European Championship. They didn't play any friendly matches, and therefore their their ranking... I mean, they, they played well as well. That obviously helped. But their, their ranking 
because the way the way it worked was you, you averaged out your, all your points that you amassed over the, a 12-month period and friendlies were, were rated so much lower than qualifying games, which obviously you have to play. Um, so if you didn't play any friendlies, which you didn't have to play, I mean, your average... Uh, wouldn't get any lower you see so it was it was it was totally flawed but now that they, they, they've they changed it to, to a better system modeled completely on the um, ELO uh, rating system which um, we statisticians like to use um, I take it that's not the uh, electric light orchestra then it's I, think not, no, it's, uh, well, you know, I think people sometimes call it ELO it's, it, it was developed for chess basically to, to okay. rank grandmasters and, and it was um, accessible to because it's it's put it's a it's kind of like a zero sum sort of like thing where, where points are exchanged basically and the good thing about it you can retrospectively do it to any international football match all the way back till the first one in 1872 which is what they've done and and because it has that amount of time to settle down teams and give them the rating because um, you've got over 140 years of that then um, it's much better and and now FIFA have adopted a very very similar apart from a few little tweaks. Uh, to that for example at the moment the um elo rating says that england are in, in fifa's rankings that they're, they're, they're ranked sixth which i think is a you know i don't think um any any england fan will say that they're the sixth best team in the world um uh, but spain are ranked in ninth uh, whereas the elo rating has it the other way around england 11th and spain fourth croatia ninth and our last opponent switzerland 14th which just sounds sounds a little bit more realistic really right. So, but it'll take a little bit of time. This new FIFA rankings, but at least they've done it, and 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 UEFA have got rid of the uh, meaningless friendlies. So, so tell us more about the website England Stats. Right, well, as with most things, it was born out of a conversation in the pub. And me and a, me and a, 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 my friend John, who now lives in Australia, and he, he we we thought we were arguing one time uh, who was the third highest scorer. For England, we knew that Bobby Charlton, at the t- this is obviously at the time, obviously Wayne Rooney's beaten that record now, but at the time we knew that uh, Bobby Charlton had 49 goals and, and, and Gary Lineker had 48, but we didn't know who was third. So, um, and this was well before the days of Wikipedia or even the internet. This was 1996. I mean, the internet was in its infancy. So we started off building a spreadsheet where we could calculate all of this. And then that grew into around about 1998. I delved into the the primitive world of the internet, you know, with with the 16K dial-up or whatever it was in those days and uh, started building a website. And it had literally been 20 years just doing that after every game. I, I obviously update uh, the, the latest match and all the players and the caps, but also do lots of lots of research over, you know, um, going back because there are nearly 1,000 England games and well over 1,200 players. Venues, obviously, you know, um, 80-odd different countries that we played during that time. So, you know, I do, I'd like to do a lot of um, research into... Some of the older games, some of them are fascinating games. Um, tell us, tell us some of those those fascinating games. What was cropped up? Oh well, one of my favourite games is the um, is the Battle of Highbury, which um, any podcast listeners out there who are Arsenal fans, um, it was uh, November nineteen thirty four. That's why England beat Italy three two at Highbury, but it was the most dirtiest game in the um, uh, the England of play. Well, one of the one one of the ones there was a, a coming together uh, between um, the English centre forward. Drake, uh, he, he broke the foot 
of uh, one of the um, Italian players and, and the Italians basically took retribution throughout the entire match and started, you know, um, hacking and, and, and fouling players. I mean, England were, were, were 3-0 up after 12 minutes because the Italians uh, didn't want to play football. They just wanted to sort of like hurt the England England players for, you know, breaking the, the, the foot of their, their player. I mean, uh, there were broken arms and ankles and gashed legs and, you know, gashed hands and yeah. other you know, and that was all joined before half time. And it's also that's the same game as well that holds a record for same same number of players for one team. Seven Arsenal players uh, played in that team. So, for, for example, that one, uh, you know, that's that's an interesting one to, uh, to research. A lot, a lot of the um, earlier games as well. You know, the, the 19th century games. So I don't know if anybody's been to EnglandStats.com. Based the entire database of all England matches from the very first one against Scotland in, in 1872. All How are we up to now? I think we got to 987, I think. Um, that's an interesting one because we, we will have a th- the thousandth game sometime. I think I calculate some, sometime one of the European uh, Championship qualifiers next November will be England's 1,000th so game. 13 games away. Yeah. So we don't... They've not um, drawn done the, the the qualifying draws but but i think sometime in november next year there will be that'll be a big big thing that could be a glamour game couldn't it possibly albania or something or they or they, they, they might they might I don't, I don't know whether the fixture calendar will, will allow it but they might, you, might do a one that gets fixed Scotland or something yeah celebrate something but yeah so i'm trying to develop the site so basically it's yeah it's got all the players it's got all the venues it's got all the managers um and it's all it's search completely searchable so you can you, see, you can search you know how many captains have scored a hat trick you know uh, on on their debut if you want to so it's also there are other websites out there which are very good websites but they're not as as, as searchable as this one and because it, it uses a database to pull in all the information and i tinker with it all the time add obviously new matches when they come along uh, try and research old matches um, and try and add new new features here and now. I, mean, I really want to expand in, in, into women's football because I know that's uh, um, they're doing rather well at the moment. So you know, I'd like to sort of like you know have 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 a piece on that. A piece on, on, on that. But it's very very difficult to research um, women's football, international football, because you know prior to two thousand and five, it really 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 wasn't. It, it's not even in newspapers you could find the information. Well, obviously, yeah, it takes up a, a lot of your time, a lot of dedication. Um, I've I've been through a few times to uh, to research for it. It's as you say, it's an easy to sort of circumnavigate around. Yeah, and you, you can, can you can, and it links through. So if you go to a match and then you can click on a player and then you can see all his matches and then you can see all his teammates or you know all the managers he played for. And then you can see other matches he played in and stuff like that. So so yeah, you can you can get lost in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. I will obviously uh, I'll put a couple of links to it on our on our Facebook and yeah. Twitter and all that. Just go and throw some other stats at us. What what are some good ones? Um, okay, well, one of my favourite stats is this is in the form of a question. When was the last time England never made any substitutes in a match? Um, <laughs> well, I'll give you a clue. Um, it was quite a well, it wasn't that long ago, but somebody who's involved with the England setup right now played in this match. So, in the setup, I mean, I'm assuming then, could we be talking Southgate? Uh, yes, and he had a very crucial thing that <laughs> when, when you say crucial I'm, I'm immediately led to uh his uh unfortunate incident against germany in 96 yeah. would it be that it is that that because that's i find that quite fascinating so the last time england never made any substitutes they played with their 11 players was 
a European Euro 96 semi-final, which included extra time. The well, world was golden goal in those days, um, extra time plus penalties. And they never made one substitution in the match. Every single match since then, there's been at least one substitute. Mostly that they tend to sort of do the full three or six. So did, or uh, Ericsson did a whole team at one point. Right. Yeah, so that's one of my favourite uh, uh, stats. Go on, give us, uh, give us another one, another one. Uh, there are only four teams... Uh, four uh, international countries that have a better head-to-head record against England. Uh, some of them are rather easy um, to... So um, immediately, I would probably go Germany. No. All right, fair enough. Um, we used to play Germany a lot in the 1930s. In fact, actually, it, Germany. the first time Germany beat England was in the 1970 World Cup, um, when um, England were 2-0 up and then they came back to win 3-2. England, even even uh, you know during the nineteen sixty six World Cup, it, Germany have never never beaten England. Um, during the thirties, we played them a lot and, and beat them quite quite comfortably. So not Germany, no. Right, okay. I, as you say, some might be easy. I mean, I mean, could it be a country that maybe is no longer with us? Uh, no, they are all. Um, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a clue. Two of them are European, and two of them are South American. Okay, so yeah, I. I pump for brazil then brazil is one in fact they've got a most amazing record against england there can't be many teams that have got a better head-to-head against brazil i would imagine well, I, I don't i don't know but you're probably very right no maybe argentina because i know they play them a lot quite a lot yeah. uh, okay and a european one uh i don't know france no no again back in the back in the 20s and 30s we we uh, we had a quite a um quite a, a good record against uh, those guys um, go on go on let me know Okay, well, Italy, um, we've played them quite a lot, and they, they um, have a better record. Um, Uruguay, who we've not played for quite a long time. Right, um, okay. Um, last time we played was in the 2014 World Cup, but prior to that, we've only played them once before then in, in, the, in the previous uh, 20 years. Um, but they have, um, we've lost against them five times out of 11. Right. And the other one, which is very, very surprising, is Romania of all people? Who, yeah. um, rather rock, quite nice to, to to play them now because they're not exactly um, um, that hot at the moment. But but most of those times were actually competitive matches. In fact, we played them eleven times, and only only four of those were friendlies. The rest were either World Cup qualifying or World Cup finals. Oh, and we, we have a very bad record against Romania. All the other teams we've played, you know, a, a few we've only played once, and we've drawn against. Um, Saudi Arabia is one. We have a 50-50 record with Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I had the pleasure of going to a nil-nil against Saudi Arabia. Oh, a long yes, time that ago. wonderful nil-nil. Yes, I remember that. Yes, I tried to find um, some um, statistics about that. But, they, yeah, it's a very unreached, unresearchable match because it was pretty pretty boring. Yeah, I erased that one from my mind. I, Davey, I think, well, we could, we could chat for ages more. Thank you for that. Remind us of the, the website address again. Sure, um, englandstats.com, all one word, englandstats.com. And you're um, on Twitter as well, aren't you? Yeah, it's just at englandstats. Um, it's an international, England uh, database of, um, since 1872. Great stuff. Davey, right. thank you very much for that. And uh, yeah, let's, let's speak again. Yeah, okay. Thanks, mate. Now let's talk Lionesses. Following the ladies' 3-0 win over Wales to qualify for the World Cup in France next year, 
They travelled to Kazakhstan for what was effectively a dead rubber of a game, but they do all count. Phil Neville rang in the changes and brought in seven new faces. Seven new players made their international debuts. Now, After beating the Kazakhs 5-0 back in November, the girls went one better and battered their opponents on their own patch, winning 6-0 this time. Beth Mead got two. Rachel Daly, Izzy Christiansen, Lucy Staniforth and Lucy Bronze got one each. And it also meant that they went the whole qualifying campaign unbeaten, only dropping points against Wales in the home game. Now, as Rich Laverty mentioned to us last time, the Lionesses have lined up some tough friendlies. They face Brazil at Notts County on the 6th of October, Australia at Fulham's Craven Cottage on the 9th of October, and just recently announced Sweden on the 11th of November in Rotherham. Hopefully, they'll all be accessible for TV viewers if you can't get there, as there was clearly an issue with the Kazakhstan game and the BBC's red button facility leading to a lot of frustrated viewers. Not sure why the BBC couldn't accommodate it on the the, uh, BBC Two, like they did the Wales game. wasn't as if it was prime time, what with the time difference in Kazakhstan. But well done to the Lionesses. We'll be uh, speaking more with Rich Laverty, I'm very sure, uh, in the run-up to the World Cup next year, and maybe we'll speak to him as well around the time of those friendlies. Well done, the Lionesses. So the under-21s were also in action in their European Championship qualifiers. They were at home to Holland on the 6th and then away to Latvia on the 11th. Now, before those games kicked off, they were four points ahead of the Dutch and top of Group 4. The game against the Netherlands was played at Norwich's Carrow Road and a good friend of mine, Mark Kirkpatrick, was there to see it. Mark? Hi, Evan Russell. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Good to speak to you because we didn't we didn't meet each other at the Spain game, did we? No, we didn't. No other commitments. You had your football fix uh, for the under twenty ones. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think we've ever really had someone be at an under twenty ones game to tell us how it was. Well, the um, the crowd was a good uh, crowd of about sixteen and a half thousand, about two hundred Dutch supporters in the in the stadium. I was surprised at how many um, you know the, the Dutch fans were there. Yeah, you know, um, I, I would imagine somewhere in the region of two hundred were there. Um, was it segregated? Um, no, well, it, it was to a certain extent, but you know, obviously, I think um, there may well have been a few Dutch fans in with the England fans, but there yeah. was there was a very small um, area of the ground of the of the orange north. was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The south stand in the you know uh, towards the corner flag that was. Right. Mainly all orange, like you said, but yeah. um, very bad weather, heavy showers um, throughout the game, which made the pitch a little bit skiddy. But uh, you know, that's, we had a very good that's game. Just typical, typical Norwich weather, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's correct, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, East Anglian weather. Yeah, you know, it was a very entertaining game. Both teams would would have been dis- disappointed to probably lose in the end, but uh, you know, they. Um, the Dutch sort of started stronger in the first half. England came into it towards the end. Um, Madison, the ex-Norwich player, was a bit hit and miss. Did he get a good reception coming back to yes, Norwich? Yes, very good good reception. You know, uh, everybody stood and applauded. So, you know, I think he was very happy 
you know, what I can re- read in the press over the uh, over the last few days, you know, he's very pleased that, uh, of the reception that he was given. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Who else was in the in the team? Well, we had four other debutants, um, Henderson in goal, concert and the Crystal Palace right back. Um, you know, so they um, they slotted in quite easily, really. We didn't really get too many chances until sort of towards the last quarter of the match when we um, Davis, uh, Solanke and Abrahams came on. Damari Gray hit the post and crossbar on the 83rd minute. All right. They had a goal disallowed in the first half from offside. You know, we were far the better side towards the end of the game, but they had, like I say, they had possibly about 50-50 possession-wise and would have been disappointed to go away with the, you know, with the loss in the end. So we we are sort of justified being top of that group, are we, at the moment, from what you saw? Oh, yeah, from what, from what I see, you know, they had the far better coherent team in the first half you know they were far better they gelled far better than what we did obviously with the you know with the debutants that we had mm. we did change the system from sort of five at the back to four at the back it seemed to cause them far more um trouble you know going forward you know calvert Learn was very very active and you know we were we probably shaded on chances but they were very dangerous in attack um they're Right back was very, very physical. Um, well, all the team were, you know. There, it wasn't until Abraham came on that we had any player that would was sort of the same in in physique. You know, they were mm. very, very, very tall. Maybe something in the water that they drink. <laughs> Amstel, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, so it's good to see, say, Tammy Abraham, Dominic Solanke, players that have either played for the senior team or, or certainly been around the senior team. Do you reckon they can they can make that step up more on a regular basis? Was anyone there that you thought, yeah, we can he can make um, the, the step up? Well, yeah, I, I think so with um you know Solanke looked good. Certainly the partnership between Solanke and Abraham looked very promising for the fifteen or so minutes that they were on the pitch. You know, created more of a threat than just Madison and Calvert Lewin did in you know in the time time that away. They were on, and when um, also Tom Davis came on, he gave it a little bit more drive in um, in the midfield area. You know, uh, there was one or two players that I was disappointed with. Um, Lewis Cook seemed to um, play the ball more sideways than than anything, and he, you know, he did get caught in in possession several times. But you know, um, on the whole, it was a very entertaining game. Um, Henderson played well in goal, made two good. Good saves. Um, you know, obviously, few people in um, Norwich would have been disappointed not to see Angus Gunn there again. But they gave Henderson, uh, you know, his debut, and he cooked yeah. very, you know, he cooked very, very well with it. You know, there was um, flashes of, you know, players that possibly in the next sort of few years will be coming forcing their way for, forward. But I thought, on the whole, you know, Solanke, Abraham. Um, Calvert Lewin and also the um, Ben Chilwell played well. The obviously the Leicester player, the Tottenham player Josh uh, Awono, he he played well. He came off um, in the second half. You know he was putting himself about a bit. Like I said, on, on the whole, um, they would have all been both teams would have been disappointed, you know, to lose the game on the whole. Right. Oh, that's that's good. Tim, what what did you pay for a ticket? 
there? Um, that was just ten pounds at a very good entertainment. You know, yeah. I think I think it was might have been five pounds for children. You know, um, towards at the end of the game, uh, you know, there was that connectivity with um, yeah. with the supporters in in you know that were left in the stadium. Several left obviously because of the of the bad weather towards the end, mm. but. Um, yeah, it was nice to see that. Um, I believe it was um, uh, either Solanke or Abraham came over and gave one of their shirts to. I think it was Solanke actually gave his shirt to a young member in the in the crowd. You know, so yeah, you know, there's that there's that connectivity that obviously um, we've been talking about on you know from the full senior senior team to you know to the members of the public. You know, wow, you know, no, it sounds sounds like a good good night all round, despite the. Uh, as you say, the lack of goals. So the under 21s, I was just looking at the fixtures actually. They've got, let's say, we've got Latvia away, Andorra, and yeah, Andorra and Scotland, it looks like. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, towards, um, I believe, on the 11th October, we play Andorra. And then obviously, we play Scotland about four days, four days later. So, um, you know, um, I think if we get possibly four points out of that, you know, we may well be safe. Certainly, five will obviously take us through with the where you know where the situation is in the table at the moment. With um, most of the teams only got uh, got three games to go. And we're doing where are the Euros next year? Is it? Uh, I no? believe it's in, in Italy. I think I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. I I think I read somewhere that was Italy, but obviously I I'll uh, I'll dig it out. Don't worry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, no. Thank you, thank you very much for joining us, Mark, um, and for giving us the lowdown on on what it's like to, to see the under twenty ones and and hey, sixteen half thousand people there is is a great turnout. Isn't yeah. It? Cool. All right. Well, well, Mark, thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll speak again. Yeah. Bye bye. Now that game against Latvia ended two one in England's favour, despite going a goal behind. Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount on his debut got the goals, which meant that the boys are currently one point off qualification to Italy next year. We'll keep an eye on that one uh, as the results of the fixtures come through on that. Now, other results from the youngsters games included the under-20s had a double header around the same time as the seniors and the under-21s. Paul Simpson's boys took on Switzerland, winning 2-0. Goals from George Hurst and Elliot Embleton. Then they took on Holland, but lost out 3-1 there, despite going a goal up from Arsenal's Eddie Enquetier. The under-19s, they also faced Holland at St George's Park, coming away with a 4-1 win. Then they made it a Lowlands double by beating Belgium with goals from Callum Hudson-Odoi and Stephen Walker. Now, these boys start their under-19 Euro qualifiers in November. And finally, the under-18s beat France 2-1 to win a four-team tournament. Lafarge Foot Avenir, I believe is what it was called. Perhaps I need to uh, elaborate more on my French. But uh, yes, uh, beating the Dutch 3-0, Russia also 3-0. And then, as I mentioned, France 2-1 in the final game to lift that trophy. Well done. That'll be that then. I think we've covered most things. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Davey Naylor from EnglandStats.com and you can find them on Twitter at EnglandStats. 
and also to Mark Kirkpatrick for the Under-21s chat. Now we're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and you can find it all at www.3lionspodcast.com All the usual stuff, like, subscribe, all the usual places. Uh, we're also on Twitter too, at 3 Lions Podcast, and search the same on Facebook. Feel free to join in the chat there. I'll be back again before we travel to Croatia and Spain. So tell your friends and I'll catch up with you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>